الحمد لله الحمد لله رب العالمين نحمده ونشكره وقليل من عبادي الشكور وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله إذا قضى أمرا فإنما يقول له كن فيكون فسبحان الذي بيده ملكوت كل شيء وإليه ترجعون وأشهد أن سيدنا وحبيبنا وعزيزنا محمد صلى الله عليه وآله عبده ورسوله يا أيها النبي إنا أرسلناك شاهدا ومبشرا ونذيرا وداعيا إلى الله بإذنه وسراجا منيرا من يطع الله ورسوله وأولي الأمر من المؤمنين فلا مضل له ومن يعص الله ورسوله وأولي الأمر من المؤمنين فلا هادي له اللهم اهدنا صراطك المستقيم وثبت أقدامنا وتوفنا مسلمين أما بعد Dear committed brothers and dear committed sisters We are approaching the month of Rabi' al-Awwal The month in which our dearest prophet was born And there is an occasion in which we at least some of us try to build bridges with the others of us you know we've been living a division for centuries and the fault lines among us have increased and we have people who think about themselves as belonging to a madhab before they belong to Allah and his Prophet. And the ayah in the Quran says, Huwa sammakum al-Muslimin. It is he, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, who has given you the name Muslimin. It didn't say, Who Allah alladhi sammakum as sunnah. The ayah didn't say, Who Allah alladhi sammakum as shia. Who alladhi sammakum al muslimin. And we are compelled to try to sweep away from our minds some of the divisive traditions misunderstandings that linger in our masajid in our conferences and even in our encounters one-on-one a sunni meets a shi'i a shi'i meets a sunni and one, once the uh, one of them knows of the other, then all of a sudden these divisive notions set in. It's sad to have to, sp- to sweep away the effects of centuries when we are today dealing with 
threatening, life-threatening, existentially threatening dangers. You know where we are? Uh, to dramatize it a little, millions of Muslims, some of them babies, some of them infirm, some of them ill, some of them without homes. Imagine in your mind a baby in Yemen or a baby in some other area of the Muslim world who doesn't know the parents of that baby don't know if the baby will live tomorrow and we are arguing among ourselves and if we don't argue we suppress the argument in ourself of whether that person's salah is valid or not because he doesn't belong to my madhab how silly how silly have we become when this has become our measuring stick the tears of that baby are worth much more than however much knowledge a divisive and argumentative scholar is the tears of that baby and the feelings of the parents of that baby So what are some of these issues that are divisive, that make us think in terms of, oh, I'm superior, I'm the greatest, because I have a certain madhab. One of those issues is, and these are the calcifications that we are born into. Some of us are not aware that we've been programmed to become who we are one of these issues is al-isma do we have 12 imams who are faultless that's on one side this becomes a divisive issue you think like that and other muslims doesn't think like that then you know there has to be some distance between you and the other muslim on the other side, there are those Muslims who think of what is called Adalat al-Sahaba. The companions of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam cannot make mistakes. It's another way of saying Asmat al-Sahaba. They just don't use it that way. But in the final analysis what both of them mean is very much similar to each other can we just outgrow this what is this going how is this going to save millions of muslims tens of millions of muslims who are refugees how is that going to contribute to their well-being can we just say to ourselves okay you have the freedom of looking at history your way and I, I have the freedom of looking at history my way and I don't want that history to come and destroy my responsibility in life my accountability to Allah in the problems that we have I mean these are ancient issues Khalq al-Quran is the Quran created or is it not created take a look at the Arabian Peninsula the Arabian Peninsula has Sunnis and Shias it has 
with, with, meaning with their different schools of thought. It has also Ibavis in it. And look at the policies that these people in the Arabian Peninsula are pursuing. In Syria and in Iraq, in Libya, in Afghanistan, in Afghanistan today, a bomb went off in one of the masjids in the eastern part of Afghanistan, about 50 kilometers away from Jalal Abad. 62, the latest report, 62 Muslims were killed when they were performing Jumu'ah prayers because an explosion went off, the whole ceiling collapsed, and we have 62 or 63 who were killed and another 30 to 40 who were injured and they say there was about 300 plus prayer attendees in that masjid what purpose does it serve if someone comes up with the argument do you believe the quran was created or was not created why do you bring that issue up when this is our current bloody life losing condition why what what purpose does that serve can we just settle on the issue okay you must you as a muslim you believe that the quran is created i as a muslim believe the quran was not created so let's join hands and not have this divisive issue break us apart can we not do that we had have you ever, some of us who maybe are exposed to some of these issues, have you ever asked yourself why is it that if someone wants to condemn Muawiyah, all of a sudden he is approaching Kufr? But Muawiyah himself, who was condemning and he made it official policy the household of the prophet condemning the household of the prophet that's not a problem condemning Muawiyah is a problem there's something wrong in this psychology that has to be approached not with lakum dinukum waliyadeen you have your religion or you have your deen and I have mine it can't be approached like that if part of our body is diseased and this disease is in these types of people then we have to deal with the disease have to tell them what's the double standard here when it comes to this particular issue We've had, in the past 30, 40 years, we'd ha we've had budgets and treasuries that were financing Muslims who were saying, as their teacher said a couple of hundred years ago, if there's a qabr, if there's a grave in Kurdistan, and the some Kurds go to that grave therefore all the Kurds are Kafirs this, it's there brothers and sisters this is the poison that has been working its effects on us same thing if there's a Qabr in Yemen the Yemenis are Kafirs come on please let's sit, see the problem with these types they don't want to sit down they don't want to discuss issues they want to argue but they don't want to discuss another manifestation of this asabiya our problem has been asabiya this social ego community ego family ego not individual ego it's a combination of egos that are centered around either a language or a sect nationalism or sectarianism that's the collective ego that has been 
at work for a very long time, we have to deal with it. One manifestation of it. This is true. It's down to earth. It's a fact of life. There's a Shi'i masjid in a Shi'i city, in a Shi'i area of eastern Saudi Arabia. And what's the name of the street that that masjid is on? The name of the street is Ibn Taymiyyah or Ahmed Ibn Hanbal. Does that make for a synergy of people? Can't you name that street Ali ibn Abi Talib or Fatima al-Zahra or something like that? Which all we all Muslims agree on the honor of Imam Ali and his wife Fatima, the daughter of Allah's Prophet. So, but what does it mean? What type of message do you send? When you have a Shi'i masjid and then you have a Salafi name of the street on which that masjid is located. What does that mean? Then we have something, this is the disease that has to be discussed. We have to sit down with the... The problem is not with us who are willing to sit down with fanatics and sectarians. The problem is within them. They are not willing to do that. Why can't they? Why can't we have... This is the time to have these types of sessions. In the presence of all of them, we're not going to sit down in, in a closed room behind the scenes, a concealed meeting. No, no. Let there be thousands and more Muslims who are listening to the discussion. We have some disease types who will tell you that they say, some people say, Imam Ali was born in the Kaaba. And these fanatics say, what's to be proud of about being born in the Kaaba? when he was born in the Kaaba. At that time, there were idols in the Kaaba, 360 or so idols in the Kaaba. So he was born in an area in which all of these idols were there. So what, do you, what, type, of, uh, what type of point are you trying to make? These, these types who, who with this sectarianism that's in them, when they approach the issue like this, they don't, they don't look at the Prophet himself who used to go to the Kaaba when these idols were there. He used to meet with people around the Kaaba when these idols were there. He used to perform his... This is before he was 40 years old and after he was 40 years old. He used to perform his salah. There was a salah al-Ibrahimiyyah. These were two rak'at. They were, they were performed while the idols were there in the Kaaba. The Umrah that the Prophet performed before Hajjat al-Wada'a, the Prophet went on a Umrah. The idols were there in the Kaaba. So these people who want to make a sectarian issue about Imam Ali being born in the Kaaba have no grounds for their point of view. When they say, oh, he was born around within idols. That Umrah that the Prophet uh, performed was called Umrah Al-Qadha. The ayah in the Quran was saying to the Muslims who were sensitive about performing their duties, their Islamic duties in a mushrik controlled Mecca with idols all around the Kaaba. The ayah in the Quran responds to these types of people. Inna safa wal marwata min فَمَنْ حَجَّ الْبَيْتَ أَوْ اَعْتَمَرَ فَلَا جُنَاحَ عَلَيْهِ أَنْ يَطَّوَّفَ بِهِمَا الصَّفَى and al-marwa 
are symbols belonging to Allah. So whoever is on a Hajj or a Umrah gains no delinquency by jogging between a Safa and the Marwa that had idols on top of them. But this is our problem, brothers and sisters. We have become people who almost deify our history. Our history has become something like a deity, a god. The Prophet of Allah says, you are going to follow in the methods of those who have preceded you. The Prophet of Allah speaking to the Muslims. And here we are. Exactly. We are copycatting Ahl al-Kitab before us. Then ayah in Surah Al-Jumu'ah says, مَثَلُ الَّذِينَ حُمِّلُوا التَّوْرَاتَ ثُمَّ لَمْ يَحْمِلُوهَا كَمَثَلِ الْحِمَارِ يَحْمِلُ أَسْفَارًا بِئْسَ مَثَلُ الْقَوْمِ الَّذِينَ كَذَّبُوا بِآيَاتِ اللَّهِ وَاللَّهُ لَا يَهْدِي الْقَوْمَ الظَّالِمِينَ The similarity of those who were tasked were to carry the Torah and then did not carry the responsibilities of the Torah are just like a donkey that is carrying books. مَثَلُ الَّذِينَ حُمِّلُوا التَّوْرَاةَ ثُمَّ لَمْ يَحْمِلُوهَا كَمَثَلِ الْحِمَارِ يَحْمِلُ أَسْفَارًا Could this also apply to we the Muslims? Could there be a reading? This is not a Quranic ayah, but it is a Quranic meaning. مَثَلُ الَّذِينَ حُمِّلُوا الْقُرْآنَ ثُمَّ لَمْ يَحْمِلُوهُ كَمَثَلِ الْحِمَارِ يَحْمِلُ أَسْفَارًا The similarity of those who were tasked with the with carrying the Quran and then do not carry the responsibilities of the Quran are like a donkey that is carrying books could that apply to us ask yourself think a little it's interesting in this regard that Yours truly once had a small discussion with a rabbi. And the rabbi said, uh, these are not his exact words, but it's something like, the meaning is like this. He doesn't even believe that the Torah as it exists today is the exact Torah that was revealed to Prophet Musa of course I was surprised what do you I mean the Torah is not the Torah that was he said no that's I said so how what is it that brings you together as Jews if it's not the centrality of the Torah he said it is our history that binds us together Same thing is happening here with the Muslims. Except the difference with the Muslims is we still have the Quran exactly like it was revealed. So if Bani Benu Israel or Yahud they went off course because they said, Well, we don't think this is the Torah that was revealed. And so they cling on to their common history. But we have the Quran exactly as it was revealed. How, how do we sidetrack the Qur'an and cling on 
to a madhabi history. How does this happen? It's happening. This is what we have. It should be mentioned that when Allah's Prophet came and began this construct of a social Islam, the more the Prophet gained power, this was a moral power. It's not polluted by the definitions of power nowadays. The more the Prophet was in control of moral power, the more there were munafiqeen, muthabbitin, muawwiqeen, mutarabbisin. All of these and others are Quranic terminologies that tell you that there is a quality that counts. The quality of al-muhajireen and al-ansar and al-ridwaniyeen who were around the Prophet. These were the basic, it wasn't the numbers. Look at Surah At-Tawbah. The last ayat to be revealed in the 23-year history of revelation, Surah At-Tawbah exposed the internal breakaway factions among the Muslims. That's why another name for Surah At-Tawbah is Surah Al-Fadiha, the exposer. It exposes this internal fact. So here we are, we glorify our history instead of glorifying our Qur'an. One of the major issues that we have. And it appears, you know, the Muslims went and they reached Al-Andalus, west, westwards. Eastwards, they went and they reached India. Okay, militarily speaking, that's a fact. It's a historical fact. And the, but what, is not, what should not be part of that historical fact is our false pride in military victories. A military victory is described in an ayah in Surah Al-Saf. It says, وَأُخْرَى تُحِبُّونَهَا نَصْرٌ مِّنَ اللَّهِ وَفَتْحٌ قَرِيبٌ As if this ayah is saying, Oh, and by the way, there's one other thing that you like, and that is support from Allah and a near triumph. وَأُخْرَى تُحِبُّونَهَا نَصْرٌ مِّنَ اللَّهِ وَفَتْحٌ قَرِيبٌ That's, it's almost like it coincidentally follows. This is what comes. But where is, go back to your history books, where is the concentration on the social justice that we are responsible for? Quran doesn't concentrate on gaining military victories as much as it concentrates on establishing social justice. This is the history of prophets and the history of scriptures. لَقَدْ أَرْسَلْنَا رُسُولَنَا بِالْبَيِّنَاتِ وَأَنْزَلْنَا مَعَهُمْ الْكِتَابَ وَالْمِيزَانِ لِيَقُومَ النَّاسُ بِالْقِسْطِ And also there's an ayah in the Qur'an that speaks about our attitude towards our history. Let me say that again. There's an ayah in the Qur'an that speaks about our attitude towards the way we present our history. When some Muslims write that, oh, the Muslims, they expanded and the Muslim armies, they went to this geography or they re reached that faraway land. And I, okay, you're speaking about what happened militarily, but what happened socially? What happened when we speak about Al-Qist? 
the Quranic value, the Quranic central theme. So this ayah in the Quran says, "Fala tuzakku anfusakum." Don't elevate yourselves. Don't give status to yourselves. That's not the way we speak about our history. This is even done by those who belong to Islamic movements. So if we follow the ayat of the Qur'an very closely, very consciously, we find that Allah is concentrating on the quality of Muslims, not the quantity of Muslims. A shaitan is with false numbers. Ma, the ayah in the Quran when it comes to this issue, Ma agna ankum jam'ukum. What this means is your numbers did not do you any good. When you thought you had all of these numbers, it didn't do you any good. Ma agna ankum jam'ukum. Another ayah, وَيَوْمَ حُنَيْنٍ إِذْ أَعْجَبَتْكُمْ كَثْرَتُكُمْ And on the day of the battle of Hunayn, you were very impressed by your multitudes. The Muslims had a lot of troops, 12,000 or so, very much outnumbering their enemy. Didn't do them any good. فَلَمْ تُغْنِيَ عَنْكُمْ مِنَ اللَّهِ شَيْئًا وَضَاقَتْ عَلَيْكُمُ الْأَرْضُ بِمَا رَحُبَتْ وَضَاقَتْ عَلَيْكُمْ أَنفُسُكُمْ Then we have, and we come back to one of these divisive issues that we dealt with so many times. And it's been presented in some limited manner here and there. And that is, and I think this basically we have to begin one day maybe I'm doing this sooner than some people would like but it has to be done because Muslims are dying brothers and sisters we can't remain uh, diplomatic or silent about an issue that is psychologically killing us before we are physically killing ourselves and this comes to the leadership after Allah's Prophet Who's going to be the head of the Islamic government or the Islamic society? Who's going to be the one who's going to take over? And here we we encounter a very elusive issue. It's slippery. Every time we try to get a grip on it, it slips away. This is what happens with most Muslims when they think about this particular issue. And the way I, the best way I think I can explain this, and it cannot be explained very thoroughly in a khutbah, and that's why it needs more time and more discussion. And I concede that to begin with. And that is, after the Prophet Before the Prophet passed away, the Prophet was nominating he who is more qualified to lead the Muslims. He did this many times on many occasions with many statements. And you're probably all of you are familiar with his statements concerning Al-Imam Ali. So that, I think, has to be cleared in the Muslim mind, in the public Muslim mind. This has to be cleared. Do you agree with this or you don't agree with this? If you agree with it, alhamdulillah. You don't agree with it, okay. Bring forth your 
explanation. The other part of this is the Muslims who are going to be ruled will they accept the most qualified to rule them? This is the gray area that many of us just don't get it. And so some of us you see, uh, most of this khutbah, you listen to this khutbah, most of it was knocking down the fanaticism and the asabiya, the bigotry that exists in the Sunni context. We need the equivalent of this in the Shi'i context. It's as if Sa- the Saudi Wahhabi kingdom is on its way down, walillahi alhamd, oh Allah, we thank you so much for this eventuality. But on the other side, there's a fanaticism that is beginning to show its colors. This is in the Shi'i context. And because I'm perceived by, I think, most of the people out there because I'm born in a Sunni family I'm brought up as a Sunni so many of the people out there perceive me as a Sunni Alhamdulillah I don't care because there's many positives among the Sunnis and I'm certainly supportive of that of those positives but I'm critical of the negatives we need voices in the Shi'i context who are like that who can expose the negatives in that context don't tell me the Shi'is are masums. We need someone who stands up and exposes for the betterment. We're not here trying to damage anyone or take away from their integrity or their history or anything like that. But these negatives, they have to come to light. So when we come and say, Al-Imam Ali did not object in a social way. He may have personally objected to some of the decisions that were made by the three predecessors before him. But he wasn't responsible for any even peaceful social disobedience. None of that appeared. Because he knew, and this is a this is a statement that our Shi'i brothers they don't understand when they attribute it to Omar. They said he said something like, "People, meaning the Muslims who are going to be ruled, are not going to accept the combination of Nubuwa and Imama." These people, 120,000 of them and more at the time of Omar, probably climbing up towards a million, if not more, it's not within their customs, their nature, their background, their history, their culture. Their, it's not within them to have a combination of Nubuwa and Imama. And we have to deal with this in the best possible way. You think Imam Ali did not understand this also? If Omar understood it, Imam Ali did not understand it? it? Don't you have enough character if you belong to the Shi'i part of history? It's all right if I'm going in that direction. Is it asking too much to think positively? of those who shielded as much, especially the first two, Abu Bakr and Omar, and at least for the first few years, Uthman shielded as much as they could from the backlash that would have occurred from Muslims thinking, oh, the Prophet took away our tribal leaderships, and he put one leadership in his family. Isn't that a recipe for a Karbala before Karbala? A Safin before Safin, 
Al-Jamal before Al-Jamal? Is it asking too much to think in this positive way to make room for us coming together instead of now causing very deep psychological wounds in our demographic body? And I don't have to speak specifics here because I think you know what I'm talking about. And there are there there's information that also is is omitted from this history. Muawiyah, the the criminal behind the scenes, don't tell me he's a Sahabi, he's a Taliq. Muawiyah, who was angling for becoming the ruler over the Muslims, he sent Al Mughira to Omar to almost like quiz him who should be leading the Muslims after him and he began to suggest and Mughira began to suggest names to Omar how about this person how about that how about the other how about the so Omar is listening to this person and he asks him why have you deliberately omitted Ali from your count of personalities to succeed in ruling over the Muslims he was aware of this the assassination look the assassination of JFK John F Kennedy is written about its research there's rumors there's propaganda there's accurate information there's inaccurate information all of this we have we had 14 centuries and no one can explain to us why and how Omar was assassinated no one let me tell you there's not one book written on the subject that I know of and if I'm wrong please correct me I'm not here telling you I'm the last word on the subject there's not one book written about his the assassin of Omar Abu Lu'lu'a in some pages of history they say he was a Zardushti, a Zoroastrian. Okay, if we, 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 we put that book aside, we go to another book, we read on, and that book says, no, he was a Christian. Okay, we put that aside and we go on. Then we read another book and says, no, he was a Muslim, because he was praying with the Muslims in the masjid. That's how he stabbed Omar. So what, we, we don't know a person who assassinated Omar, what type, who was he? We don't know that. And this is one of the issues that people go back when you dig into these divisive attitudes and mentalities. It goes back to that time, to what happened then. I don't want to, you know, bring up the issue of There are other pertinent issues to that time frame in history but those who say that there's some type of animosity between Omar and Ali whether you're a Sunni or a Shia I don't care we're speaking this is a Jum'ah this is the minbar of Rasulullah and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is my witness anyone who thinks they disagreed on some issues or many issues I don't care how you read history it's one of the two they disagreed on some issues or they disagreed on many issues but there's nothing that tells us because of that disagreement they were enemies and we've become enemies because they are not enemies how do you justify that to yourself and why are we silent about this whole issue why Just think about the tears and think about the blood of innocent Muslims. The tears and the blood eventually become justified because of this, of this area in history that we haven't cleared up in our minds. We've spoken about this before. It's just, this is just another khutbah, another contribution 
to clearing the air on this subject. أقول قولي هذا وأستغفر الله لي ولكم ادعوه سبحانه وأنتم على يقين بالإجابة وتوبوا إلى الله إن الله تواب رحيم الحمد لله الذي هدى وصلى الله وسلم على سيدنا المصطفى وعلى آله وصحبه أولي النهى وأولي التقى My dear brothers, my dear sisters in Islam These khutbas on these days at this time should be enlightening khutbas about today's issues. We are forced back into history because of the ignorance that has flourished within our communities and among our public speakers. The issues that we have to be dealing with from a mature and an advanced Quranic and prophetic position is something like, okay, the United States now is sending, as news reports have it, 2,000 to 3,000 troops to Saudi Arabia. What is that all about? How would the United States feel how would the people in the United States feel? Politicians forget about them. They have no feelings. How would people feel if there were troops coming from a Muslim country and stationed here within the United States? How would that go down with the average person? You have to look at this both ways. It cuts both ways. And then, recently, Mr. Abbas, the head of the Palestinian Authority, goes to Saudi Arabia. Should we call it Muawiyah Arabia? Or should we call it Yazidi Arabia? For us to bring the past into the present. And then they agree there should be some type of economic committee a mutual economic committee that is established between the Palestinian Authority and Umawi Arabia. Haven't, uh, haven't this politician learned in the course of these, these, all of these years that his survival does not depend on the likes of these types of rulers? He's also empty-headed. Just like the kings in Arabia and the royals in Arabia are empty-headed, so are these types of authoritarians like Abbas and others in Palestine empty-headed. Then we have the Saudi, the Umawi ambassador in London. He tells us that Saud al-Qahtani the person who is said to be responsible for the chopping up of Khashoggi in their consulate in Istanbul, Turkey, he says he's being investigated while he is in his own home. What type of invest what type of trial? He's being tried and in investigated while he's living at home. Oh, so what is telling these minions who are investigating and trying him? Could you bring me the potato chips and the uh, Kentucky fried chicken and all of this? Giving orders to them? What why isn't there a legal process? And why is all of the fuss about one individual, Khashoggi? There are hundreds of thousands of other individuals who were killed because of these royals in Arabia. They don't count. 
This should be a war criminal. That royal family should be a, a, a criminal family that is brought to justice in, if not in Islamic courts, then in some international court. Oh, he's being tried at home. Today there was a, in the past 24 hours, there was a protest in Gaza telling the Saudis, the Saudis are the ones who in one way or the other, to one extent or the other, they financed Islamic movements in Palestine, Egypt and other places. These same types now are protesting against the Saudis and telling them, release the Palestinians that you have detained months ago. Release them. It's about time someone could take a stand and say something that is right. Then we have Saudi Arabia officially after convening a ministerial meeting condemning the what they call the Turkish invasion into Syria should that tell you something if Saudi Arabia is condemning the Arab League is condemning what the Turkish government is doing in Syria that should and the Israelis are also online with that I should tell you something, and there's an American delegation that went to Turkey. The Vice President, the Secretary of State, and others who are in the State Department who specialize in Turkish and Syrian affairs, they went there, and they're telling the Turks, you should not be doing what you are doing. The Prime Minister of Pakistan is on right now a shuttling mission between Iran and Saudi Arabia trying to bring them together and saying hopefully all of us can meet in Islamabad or another city in Pakistan to solve these differences among us. You see it's money. It's money that's motivating a person to do what he is doing. There's no Islamic, Quranic, prophetic elements in all of this. All of these things that you are hearing, these developments that are taking place. A Saudi Arabian sports team to qualify for the World Series in Qatar or wherever it's going to be held is going to play against the Palestinian team but they're going to obtain Israeli visas. What does that tell you also? The United Arab Emirates in the past week has withdrawn more of its killing force from Al-Yemen. And then we have information telling us that Emiratis in the past couple of weeks have been on a traveling path to Iran. Things are happening. Do these developments, do they belong in our Islamic mind or... There are some issues in this this world that are above Allah and His Prophet and we cannot speak to them from the guidance of Allah and His Prophet. And then the other things that happen, the United Arab Emirates, some guy there presents Putin, the decision maker from Russia who went and visited Saudi Arabia and the Emirates this week. Some guy there in the United Arab Emirates presents Putin with a black belt. And then the United Arab Emirates and the Saudi Arabian orchestras. Have you heard that before? Saudi Arabia has an orchestra. They were playing the national anthem of Russia and they fouled up. They didn't know how to do that. The Israelis have detained the governor of Al-Quds and a couple of other individuals in the past couple of days. And something seems a little odd here. I don't know if, if 
there's a relationship between one or the other. But the Algerian government, there's the largest church in Algeria, according to some news reports, it belongs to a Protestant denomination, was told you cannot have services in your church. What's going on here? This forces us, as Muslims, we are responsible for Jews and Christians to have their services in their places of worship. It's our response. So when a government like this comes and does something like that, you begin to say, what's the backdrop to all of this? Can you explain this to us? The explanation is not there yet. In the same week, another major church in Egypt is burned down. What is this? Are we, uh, are we right now beginning another chapter of the ISIS problems that we've had in the past 10 years or more if you want to look at a larger geography in the world? These are issues that have to be addressed by a working and thinking Islamic, Quranic, prophetic mind. They honor with, they, no, no, they want you to go back. They want you to go back into history and live in the shells of Sunnis and Shi'is and be divided and divided evermore so that your division reinforces their rule. Allahumma arina al-haqqa haqqan warzuqna tiba'a wa arina al-batila batilan warzuqna ijtinaabah wa la taj'alhu multabisan alayna waj'alna lilmuttaqina imama Allahumma ahdina fi man hadayt wa'afina fi man afayt watawallana fi man tawallayt وبارك لنا فيما أعطيت وقنا شر ما قضيت فإنك تقضي ولا يقضى عليك وإنه لا يذل من واليت ولا يعز من عاديت تباركت ربنا وتعاليت فلك الحمد على ما قضيت نستغفرك ونتوب إليك وصلى الله على محمد وآل محمد بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم والعصر إن الإنسان لفي خسر إلا الذين آمنوا وعملوا الصالحات وتواصوا بالحق وتواصوا بالصبر ومن أظلم ممن منع مساجد الله أن يذكر فيها اسمه وَسَعَى فِي خَرَابِهَا أُولَئِكَ مَا كَانَ لَهُمْ أَنْ يَدْخُلُوهَا إِلَّا خَائِفِينَ لَهُمْ فِي الدُّنْيَا خِزِي وَلَهُمْ فِي الْآخِرَةِ عَذَابٌ عَظِيمٌ إِنَّ اللَّهَ يَأْمُرُكُمْ أَنْ تُؤَدُّوا الْأَمَانَاتِ إِلَى أَهْلِهَا وَإِذَا حَكَمْتُمْ بَيْنَ النَّاسِ أَنْ تَحْكُمُوا بِالْعَدْلِ إن الله نعم يعظكم به إن الله كان سميعا بصيرا ولذكر الله أكبر والله يعلم ما تصنعون وأقم الصلاة Allah, <laughs> 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 